Amen. What a powerful name. There is no other name under heaven or earth whereby men can be saved. God has exalted him and given him a name. There will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Good morning. Um, what an exciting day it has already been. What a time of worship we've already had. I'm excited for us to continue our discussion about fighting. Isn't that fun? The discussion that we have about conflict that happens, you remember that we've already studied what happens when people have disagreements on personal convictions, those things that somebody thinks is right, somebody thinks is wrong, and how we're to deal with that as believers to the glory of God. We've discussed what about theological fights? What about things that matter in determining what matters and what is less important and how we can extend grace even in the midst of those? But today we're going to talk about when fighting gets personal. Heard a story recently about a pastor and an organist who were at odds. I mean, they were having it out. Eventually, it became visible even in the worship service. The pastor preached a sermon on commitment, and the organist played, I shall not be moved. Word was getting around that things were up, and so this pastor preached a sermon on, the goss- on gossiping. And the organist prayed, I lo- played, I love to tell the story. Finally, the pastor was fed up. He announced his resignation, and the organist played, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> Just sounds silly, and it's kind of funny, yet most conflict starts as a small fire and grows into a large fire if not resolved properly. And again, it's okay for us to, I think, joke and smile. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to have to to some extent because this is a hard topic. This is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. One wag said years ago, I've said it before here, I'll say it again, to live above with saints we love, oh, that'll be glory. But to live below with the Christians I know, that's another story. And so we have to learn how to navigate the challenges of personal conflict. I want you to read or open your Bibles with me. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4, just the first three verses this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Stephen's already read Ephesians 4, the first three verses, and then, of course, the last section of that. We'll come back to that in this message. But in Philippians 4, I want us to give us some context here. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, therefore, now it's important that we know why there's a therefore there. He says, therefore, my brothers, those whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then, how would you like to be called out like this for all eternity in the pages of Scripture? He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord Yes, I ask you also, true companion, he's speaking to another one there, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what's that therefore, therefore? Paul says, he has just stated the believer's citizenship is in heaven, that we're just passing through, that we have a glorious inheritance when Christ returns, including a glorified body, and thus nothing should sway us from our firm foundation who is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to stand firm in the Lord, and in a sense, Paul goes from the heights of glory. We stand against false teachers. We stand against those things that would lead us astray. The Lord is coming back. We'll be glorified in heaven, you body. And then he comes down kind of to the, the depths of life as we know it. The current reality of living in a fall world, fallen world. And it's important that we understand Paul loves these people. He's not upbraiding or just fussing. He loves them. He cares 
that there's disagreement in the body. He cares that there's a potential for increasing disunity. Not, not just so that things can go smooth and we can say everything's going fine, but because he cares for a euodia, he cares for a syntyche. And if I'm mispronouncing those, you can correct me later. We're just going to go with that for the time being. All right? But he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. I entreat each of you. I, re- I honor you. I respect you, fellow workers with the Lord. This is a strong and obedient, effective congregation. He's repeatedly praised their partnership in the gospel. He's told them he holds them in his heart and that he yearns for them with all of the affection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He holds none of his affection back. He pours it out upon them, encouraging them to stand firm. And then he points out the problem between these two individuals. He even gracious, and he does it in a gracious manner. This could be a volatile subject. I'm sure that Yodia had her followers and Tentake had her followers, and I'm sure that there was some things going on there. But, but personal conflict can be volatile. There was a church, some of you will remember, not too many years ago, where the pastor and the minister of music were in such conflict that when the minister of music would stand up on the platform, the pastor would go sit down. <laughs> and then when the pastor would come up on the, con- on the platform, the minister of music would go sit down. And that just seems silly and childish, doesn't it? How do you get to that point? How do you get to the place where believers who have been saved by grace will walk down the hall and just kind of look away from each other? Or, or worse yet, snarl and snap at each other. What we know about these two ladies is at the very least they were in disagreement. More likely their disagreement was so severe it was causing problems in the church to the extent that Paul's in prison and he heard about it and he responds to it in this letter. We know that they had been members of this congregation for a long time. We know that either at the founding of the church when Paul came to Philippi, you guys will remember the story in the book of Acts where where he met Lydia, where Paul founded the church. These were co-workers with him, these ladies who worked a had worked alongside with Paul. They cooperated with each other. They cooperated with Clement and other leaders in the church for the furtherance of the gospel, the establishment of the church. And he holds them in high regard. And yet there's conflict. And so the first point on your outline, if you guys are following, and I wish you'd take some notes. I think it would be a good thing to remember. You got to expect conflicts to occur. And that's kind of a gracious way to say expect fighting to happen from time to time. People to dispute, people to argue, people to have hurt feelings, people to take offense. We've already talked about what it looks like when it happens over personal convictions and what it looks like when it happens over theological matters. But it also happens over issues and events in ministry. I'm going to point you in your, in your uh, application questions to some text about our great fights in, in the church. And so I encourage you to look over those. But sometimes people just don't like each other. I've told you this before. I was a pastor for several years in, in this congregation, and I had a person come up to me, and she's... We were talking, and, and, uh, and I said, I sense that there's an issue here. I think we got some broken fellowship. What's going on? And she said, I, just, I don't like you. And, of course, I'm thinking, who wouldn't like me? <laughs> and I said, well, it, have I offended you? Have I done something wrong? Is there something that I, I need to make right? Because if there is, I want to make it right. And she said, nope. She said, you're just one of those kind of people I don't like. I don't like the way you look. I don't like the sound of your voice. It's all I can do to stay in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. Well, what do you do with that? (laughs) And I said, well, I'm going to pray that God gives you the supernatural ability to love me. 
And I'm going to make sure that I pray that I don't harbor any resentment or take offense, but love you as well. You can expect to be an offense to someone from time to time. You can expect for people to offend you from time to time. All right, so just get ready. But I will tell you, you know, you can be an offense to someone and not even know it. Years ago, I was on the campus of North Greenville University, and I got elected president of the Baptist Student Union at North Greenville University. And we had a whole council, had a vice president whose name was Steve. And one day, we were in a leadership team meeting, and Steve just blew up at me. I mean, just blew up. And, and, and uh, I didn't understand kind of what was going on. Uh, I just knew he was mad, and then he pointed out some things and accused me of some things. I would come into those meetings, he said, and you said, he said, you just act unilaterally. You don't cooperate. You just say, let's do this or let's do that. Or you work around me. You go talk to specific leaders. You basically just make unilateral decisions. You're a dictator. I thought this was supposed to be a team. And I mean, in a public meeting, he just unloaded on me. And uh, I will tell you, he was right. The issue that I had, or I'm here, no defense, but I, it was the pattern that I had been discipled in. My dad was a, a decision maker and a leader. Uh, he was not collaborative in his leadership style. He was my model. It had also been my experience when I came on staff to be a youth director. The pastors that I worked under did not discuss things with me. They said, that's your program. You go do it. You make the decisions. You make sure that it happens. And here I am, a sophomore in college and I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. I thought I was doing it right. And it completely caught me off guard that I had offended this guy so bad. Now, what happens when somebody fusses at you about something you're not aware of is going on? How do you respond? I got really defensive really fast. And I walked in a huff back to my dorm room. I had a roommate named Mike Campbell. <laughs> I love Mike. Uh, but I walked in there, and I said, I can't believe what Steve's done. He did this. And I was just mumbling and complaining. And Mike says, hey, I can see that happening. And I'm thinking, what? He said, I know your personality. I know your dad. I know you. I know how. I know your personality. And I know him, and he is a sensitive guy who really wants to be used, who really wants to serve alongside of people. Who I believe his motivations are great. I'm like, well, regardless, you know, just, and I'm defending myself, and, and Mike just calls me on the carpet. And he says, hey, is what he said true? And it made me stop and realize that, yeah, I was, I was in the wrong in a lot of things, but I was specifically in the wrong in being an offense to him and not owning it. And so Mike said, <laughs> again, you gotta love, you got to love godly roommates. Mike said, you need to go talk to him right now. You need to not let this. And I'm like, tomorrow's soon enough. And Mike said, I'm your roommate. You think I'm going to let you sleep? <laughs> Go deal with it now. One of the best things that ever happened, Steve and I ended up having a great relationship, working together. I had a lot to learn. Uh, it, it was important that we recognize, or what I want you to recognize, is sometimes you can be an offense to somebody and not even know it. Sometimes you're an offense to someone, and you do know it. Sometimes someone's an offense to you, and they have hurt you, they've harmed you, they've wronged you, 
And there's a fight going on in the context of the body. Now, I want you to know conflicts between Christians is a very big subject. And we could break it down into uh, 40 different categories. And so we're going to deal with the principles that should apply to most of the different types of conflicts that people have. There are a million opportunities for conflicts. And a friend in Columbia, Reggie, told me years ago, he said, listen, to be a member of the family of God, particularly in any role of that has responsibility and leadership where you're working with people, you need uh, several things. You need a head that is clear, a heart that is open, hands that are busy about the work, and the skin of a rhinoceros. Don't take offense. And so the second point on your outline, I want to mention this really quickly, is when an offense occurs... When someone has hurt your feelings or you've hurt someone's feelings, when you become aware that there's a rift in the relationship, you need to not let conflicts fester. I chose that word on purpose. Isn't that a good word? Don't you just love the word fester? What comes to mind when you think of fester? Adam's family, isn't it? Yeah, it's all of them. Yeah, okay. What comes to mind? Fester. Things fester, like food or garbage. They become rotten and offensive to the senses. They stink. They rot. A gully full of garbage that has festered in the shade. You guys know of that experience. But did you know also emotions fester? A negative feeling, a problem that becomes worse and worse and more intense, especially through long-term neglect or indifference. One reason that avoiding conflict is such a problem is precisely because it worsens with negligence. It just does not go away. You guys ever encourage someone to deal with a problem because you say you think if you ignore the problem, there's no problem there? It's the same way with conflict. If you just pretend it's not there, when there's something that needs to be addressed, when there's forgiveness that needs to be extended or forgiveness that needs to be asked for, when there's reconciliation of something that needs to happen, if you hold a grudge, if you have that anger that just simmers there, it breaks your fellowship. It causes additional stresses and difficulties for you personally. It is harmful to your witness and your testimony and your life. It is harmful to the cause of Christ. One reason that avoiding conflict is such a problem is because it worsens with negligence. It doesn't just go away. But can I give you another reason that you should not avoid conflict? By the way, you guys, do you all avoid conflict? Do you avoid calling people out or dealing with the issue? Would you rather just not deal with it? When it comes to Christ, conflict requires radical resolution. How about that? Conflict requires radical resolution between brothers and sisters when we don't, we cut off from us one of the most significant opportunities that we have for grace, both to receive it and to extend it. Working through those conflicts, like Steve and I at the university, working through those conflicts can strengthen relationships and change hearts. And frankly, we need to deal with those relationships and those conflicts in relationship because God has commanded us to. And the point I want to make today quickly is this, the, the far from being automatic or deliberate or something that just happens when you're a Christian, the conscious effort to change the way you respond to being sinned against requires discipline, requires commitment, requires an act of the will. And even though we've been forgiven by God and we desire to obey God by forgiving those who have sinned against us, we still need to practice right thoughts, right behaviors, and cultivating the virtue of kindness and graciousness and being open-minded in forgiveness ourselves. And so the main portion of the sermon is point three. We already made it to point three. Are you impressed? We're making good time. 
But is, is point three on your outline, and I just want to walk through this really quick. And this is where we go back to Ephesians chapter 4 in just a moment. But right now, I just want to share with you some principles for addressing conflict. And the first thing I want you to ask yourself is, who are you mad at and who's mad at you? Who are you mad at and who's mad at you? Who do you avoid Who is it that kind of makes your stomach knot up when you get close to them? Who are you mad at? Who are you upset with? Who do you have conflict with? And who has conflict with you? The first principle I want to give you is simply we need to be slow to take offense. Don't get mad so easy. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. We don't have enough good sense, do we? Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You don't have to get mad about everything. You need to give people the benefit of the doubt. And even when they're intentionally offensive, you don't have to be the one who accepts that offense, particularly in the body of Christ, because do you remember the passage that says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things? You remember the, the, what it was, the Second Peter passage that we heard during the first hour this morning, that love covers a multitude of sin? You remember, which we'll get to in just a moment, Ephesians 4, that we are to be angry and not sin. You can be angry and yet not hold on to it, not let it fester, deal with it. Don't let, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You can get angry, have your feelings hurt, because in some sense our rights have been violated, motivated by our sin of pride or our sin of selfishness or what we owed. But we recognize that in Christ, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. It's not that we have to preserve our rights or save face or preserve our own name. We need to get mad less. Bill Stafford was an evangelist who covered the southeast United States and, frankly, parts of the world. He was speaking at a conference. My dad had hosted one time, and he was preaching there. And he was talking about a theological difference, kind of what we had talked about last week here. And there was somebody in the, in the congregation who was really offended by his stance on a particular theological topic. And that person came up to Bill after the service and just said, you're just wrong. And they were, he said, well, let's talk about it. And the guy said, well, no. And he just wouldn't, wouldn't reason, wouldn't open the scriptures and search. And he just crossed his arms and said, I am offended by what you said. And Bill just looked at him right there in front of the Lord and everybody and said, well, you're just not as spiritually mature as you ought to be, are you? Because what he's trying to communicate is that the closer we are to Christ, the less pride we have, the less face we have to save, the less chip we carry on our shoulder, the less easily we're offended, we're humbled because we ourselves have been forgiven and experienced grace. Does that make sense? I want to be cautious here. A spiritually mature person is humble rather than proud, giving instead of selfish, sacrificial, have different priorities. We trust God with our care. So when conflict happens, be slow to take offense. When conflict happens, deal with the conflict personally. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. Matthew 5, by the way, is the Sermon on the Mount. You remember who's speaking? The Lord Jesus. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, or raka, will be liable to the hell of fire. 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar, listen to this. If you're offering your gift at the altar, where is the altar that sacrifices were made? Jerusalem at the temple. The only place sacrifices were made was at the temple in Jerusalem. So if you're in Jerusalem, you're there to worship for a, a celebration, a feast, whatever, and there you recognize that your brother has something against you, you're to leave your gift there before the altar and go to him. Now, where is Jesus talking when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount? In the northern country, Galilee, the regions of Galilee. So this is a 75-mile trek. Leave there, go home, make it right, and then come back. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What the point of this passage is, when there's a conflict, deal with it. Deal with it personally. Go to your brother. This means don't noise it about. Don't share it with your prayer group or your Sunday school group or your family. Don't call people and, 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 and run that person down. Go to him personally. I was talking to somebody just recently who was being critical of their preacher's kids. And I said, well, be careful. Let's not slander or gossip. And this person's, by the way, it wasn't my kids. My kids are perfect. But it's about another pastor's kids. And, uh, and I said, be careful. Just kind of joking. Let's don't slander or gossip. And they said, well, I'm not slandering or gossiping. I'm just telling you what's wrong with them kids. And I'm thinking, <clears throat> slander, gossip. When your brother has something against you or when you have something against your brother, if your brother has sinned against you, Matthew chapter 18, Luke chapter 17, we don't have enough time to go deep into these texts, then either way, can I tell you, either way, it's your job. The mature person takes the first step to make it right. The mature person takes the first step to make it right. If you're going to be obedient to God and you are living in conflict with someone, particularly a brother and sister in Christ, the onus is upon you to right the relationship. We had a couple that came to our membership matters class, I don't know, nine years ago, ten years ago, eight, eight anyway, long time ago. And I asked them, what's your interest in Pendleton Street Baptist Church, the name of our church at that time? And they said, well, we've been a member of a church here for a long time, but I don't think the pastor wants us there anymore. He says some things in the sermon that we just felt like we were really critical of us, and so it's time for us to look for another church. And I said, well, probably not. What did your pastor say when you went and talked to the, him about these concerns that you had? And they looked at each other, and they said, oh, we didn't do that. He said this from the pulpit. And we just knew that he was talking about us. And I had the privilege of saying, oh, no, that needs to be where we start. And while they were in my office, I got a chance to pick up the phone, got that pastor on the phone talking about divine appointments, said, listen, I'm here talking to this couple, and they seem to think that there's a conflict between y'all, and I would love to help you guys resolve this conflict. And he said, send them to my office right away. And I asked them, I said, do you want me to go with? And they said, well, no, we don't, we don't need our hands held. We're happy to go. If he'll listen to us, we'll go talk to him. They left my office, went to his office. They were able to pray and clarify. It was mostly misunderstanding more than it was anything else, even though there had been some offense. And that relationship was reconciled. And they both contacted me over the period of the next couple of weeks to thank me for just telling them that they ought to deal with the issue personally. When you have a conflict with someone, respond personally 
Why does this matter? It matters because we're part of the same body, bought by the blood of Christ, joined together by his Holy Spirit. We are to be characterized by love. But what if it's a disagreement about an issue? Again, I told you, this is broad strokes, so you guys bear, me, bear with me. What if it's disagreement about an issue? We disagree about what should be done or what shouldn't be done or something they did or something they have not done that I think they should do. Well, here's the principle. Focus on the relationship before you seek to resolve the issue. Focus on the relationship you have with that person before you seek to resolve the issue. I know this will come as a surprise to you all, but Suzanne and I occasionally argue. Suzanne's my lovely wife, and she's very gracious, and she's very pre uh, precious. And we decided this weekend that we were going to go camping. Have you guys ever been camping? Have you ever tried to back a camper with your wife helping you? And I just thought, this is going to be great. Lord, here I am preaching on personal conflict, and I'm not going to be able to fuss. <laughs> now, I will tell you, there have been no fusses this weekend by God's grace. She has been great. We are having a great time there at the campground. It's just been absolutely fantastic. But can I tell you that she and I have fussed, and we've had arguments? But we are safe to do so because she's safe with me. I am not going to leave her. I'm not going to hurt her in any way intentionally or abuse her. She's safe with me. She's safe to disagree with me. And I'm safe to disagree with her. If she ever tried to leave me, I'd just go with her. <laughs> it's important that we recognize we can handle hundreds of issues. But she's safe with me and I'm safe with her because of our love for one another. And our commitment to one another is deeper and stronger than any issue we may face. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you get mad at somebody because they did something wrong or they said something wrong or there's an issue or they're doing something that you think is wrong. And so you want to deal with the issue, but the first thing that you need to deal with is, hey, I love you and you're safe with me. And I'm going to trust that you love me and I'm safe with you. And we want this relationship to be right so that it's not me aiming at you on that side of the issue and you aiming at me on this side of the issue, but us coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, tackling the issue together. Do you understand the difference? You need to move the issue from between to before. Between the arguments to where you can work on them together with a common understanding that we are children of God, that we are under his guidance and his leadership, that it is important that we demonstrate love to one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 that Stephen read says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We're going to get really quickly to behaviors that lay aside and new behaviors that we put on in Ephesians 4. But that's not where he starts. He starts with the core foundational truths that we are one in Christ, that we pursue unity, that we provide a safe place for one another. Couples can argue, argue about, matter of fact, I had one couple. Can, you, you guys, my watch died. That means I can keep going, right? I'll tell you a story. I had a young couple. I performed their wedding. And this was a long time ago, early in my ministry. I performed their wedding. And then, boy, within just a matter of weeks, I said, we need counseling. Can we come talk to you? I want to give you a list of the things 
that we met with together over the next three months. Three months, multiple meetings. Squeezing the toothpaste from the middle of the tube or from the end of the tube or leaving toothpaste in the sink. I'm not going to tell you which one did what, but you'll be surprised. Wet towels left on the bathroom floor. Table manners. Table manners or lack of them. Loading the dishwasher, unloading the dishwasher. Who's going to do it and when they're going to do it? And schedules, Lord have mercy, when Christmas came, I thought this was going to be the shortest marriage I'd ever seen in my life. His parents, her parents, how are we going to schedule that? You understand the issues that they had? And it was one after another. It was one after another. And I finally said, hey, wait, stop. You guys love one another? Well, most of the time. Do you understand what I mean when I say work on the relationship first? Settle that issue. Brothers and sisters in Christ, saved, redeemed, cleansed. In the context of a marriage, commitment. God enables you to invest your life sacrificially, honoring for the good of one another. We got to chance, I got a chance to take them through 1 Corinthians 13 about placing one another's needs above their own, about honoring one another, about making the choice to sacrifice for the benefit of the other. And then we could begin to deal with issues that divide. By the way, if toothpaste is your thing, buy two tubes, a his and a hers. All right? It's very simple. But if your biggest problem is toothpaste, you've got a bigger problem you haven't in investigated yet. Does that make sense? Are you with me? You can only do that when you're quick to give, and that's D on your outline. You need to be quick to forgive. Slow to take offense, 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 quick to forgive. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's how you talk. You talk in such a way that you build up, not tear down. You talk as fits the occasion, those things that are necessary. You talk in a manner that is grace-filled like Jesus did in Luke 4 when it said they spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. The questions that you ask in any disagreement is what I'm saying helpful, is what I'm saying necessary, and am I saying it kindly? He goes on. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This matters for our testimony and for the Spirit of God who indwells us, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Don't respond to offense like you used to respond to offense when you were a child or before you got saved. Rather, rather, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. Not too long ago, a couple came in for counseling and said, if you're going to tell me I have to forgive the other party in this relationship, I'm not staying because I'm just not willing to do that. What do you do in that context? What would you, what, what counsel would you give me as a counselor, as a pastor, as one who cares for the souls of people? Does someone says, I've been hurt so bad, so often, so many times, so deeply. My whole world is turned upside down. I'm damaged, and I feel like I've gone beyond the point 
of the ability to forgive. Not willing to even entertain the idea. The response I think that I gave or that I would give in that context, in that circumstance is, are you a believer? Have you ever come to the place where you recognized your need for forgiveness, that your sins had separated between you and God, that according to his standard of righteousness, you were judged guilty and worthy of the wrath of God against all sins, cumulative and individual, the, se- the, the, the condition of sin of being separated from God. Have you ever come to that place and recognized the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? If their answer is yes, then the response is, then you need to start reconciling your fact, your mind right now. Be clear-minded. You need to start reconciling your mind to the fact right now that forgiveness is not an option for a believer. Forgiveness is not an option for a believer. As you have been forgiven, you must forgive. Go read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and then read the next two verses after it. There's this unusual statement that says you must forgive one another. And if you don't, your trespasses won't be forgiven you. So important, so significant. Forgiveness, the Greek word forgiveness literally means let go. Let go of the debt. Let go of the offense. Let go of the sense that they still own you. Now, I do not mean that if you are in an abusive situation or a harmful situation, you just suck it up and bear with it. No. If that's what's going on, you need to get some help. You need to get someone that will come alongside of you. And there's a difference, by the way, between blanket forgiveness and reconciliation when trust has been broken. You are working toward reconciliation But once trust has been, we tell our kids this all the time they were growing up. We say, we're going to give you a lot of confidence. We're going to give you a lot of trust. We're not going to micromanage your lives. But once you break that trust, it's broken. And it is a really deep hole to dig out of. You understand that, right? And so trust has to be rebuilt. And God can restore even the most horrendous of reconciliations in personal need for reconciliation in personal conflict but you trust the grace of God to do that but you release them with your heart you let go of the offense the sense that they owe you in the same way that Christ has forgiven you forgiveness is not being oblivious to the situation it acknowledges the pain but it is a willingness to step back and say God in my decision in this conflict I want to please you Forgiveness is the release of a debt, the pardon of an offense. It is letting go of something that has been taken from me or not giving me something I feel is owed me. Forgiveness begins when we start to pray for the one who has offended us. And forgiveness comes when we remember how we have been forgiven, how we stand in the need of grace, how we continue to stand in the need of grace, and how we have been forgiven so much. And forgiveness is an act of your will. Christians, we forgive. It is characteristic of Christ and life in Christ. And there's this wonderful juxtaposition of the sovereignty of God and what he has accomplished and his command for you to exercise your will that enables Christ to accomplish in you and through you things that you could never accomplish apart from him. Good place to close the message, isn't it? You have been forgiven. You've been saved. You've been cleansed. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've been loved when you were unlovely. 
God has exercised patience and his mercies are new every morning. One of the, my favorite passages of scripture to deal with people who are offended is Luke chapter 17. You guys familiar with Luke chapter 17? If your brother offends you and he comes and repents, forgive him. That's a good place to go, isn't it? But then that verse keeps going. I think it's verse 3. And if he offends you seven times and he comes and repents, how many times do you have to forgive him? Seven times. Forgiveness needs to be for our benefit and for God's glory. The default mindset in the life of a believer. All right? Now, again, there's more to this conversation than what we're able to cover here. But here's what I want you to know. Don't be petty in your relationships. Don't get mad about things you shouldn't be mad about. Don't get your feelings hurt. Rather, put your trust in God. And insofar as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. And you can do that because Christ has made peace between you and God. Father, thank you for your loving kindness that is better than life. Thank you for your graciousness and the forgiveness that you have given to us. Thank you that even though we live in a fallen world, and even though we will have conflicts and difficulties just because of personalities and the struggles that we face, and people disappoint us and offend us and let us down, you've called us to a higher calling. You've called us to a higher purpose. You've called us to live lives that give glory to you, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that we're to live our lives to be pleasing to you. So I pray that you'll break us of our pride, that you'll break us of our selfishness, that you will help us to be those who are joyful and happy, reflecting your character, extending grace to those who are around us. Father, we love you. We trust you to continue to conform us to the image of your Son. In your name I pray these things. Amen.